Last October, um, my family and uh, the Rendons uh, went camping at uh, Cathedral Caverns. Don't worry, Landon, I'm not going to tell you an embarrassing story about you. I saw your reaction. It's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, if you want to hear an embarrassing story about Landon, come talk to me later. Well, I, I can hook you up. But no, we, uh, we went camping, and uh, we had a great time. It rained the entire time, but that didn't stop the kids. They played uh, throughout the, the few days we were there. And I had never been to Cathedral Caverns before. I'd been to a few other places, um, but, uh, and toured caves, but we'd never been there. So we, we toured the cave. I think it was our last full day there. Uh, it's very interesting. If you've never been there, it's fascinating. And if you've ever toured a cave, you probably, at some point in the tour, you get to a point in the cave, and what do they do? Anybody? They turn all the lights off, right? Yeah, they turn the lights off, and it's pitch black, and, and uh, now, you know, I've, I've gone as a child, I've gone as an adult, now they tell you beforehand, turn off your cell phones, put them in your pocket, because they don't want any light, right? And it gets so dark that it's, it's a different kind of dark, isn't it? I mean, you, you can feel the darkness. It's so dark, and that's, that's how it was. We were all standing there and uh, turned off the lights, and, and uh, we had a hand on Eli, I think, to make sure he didn't wander off, you know, make sure we were good there. And, and you sit there for a few minutes, and, and I don't know about you guys, but in that situation, after a couple of minutes... I'm, I'm ready for them to turn the lights on. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've always been a little bit afraid of dark anyway. I don't know what that is, but uh, just part of my personality. But, I mean, after a few minutes, I, on the inside, I'm begging. Okay, it's time. Turn the lights on. All right, I'm done with this. And, and that's because darkness is enveloping. And darkness, I mean, there's, you don't know what's out there. And there's fear in darkness. But, I mean, the reason she tells us, that our tour guide said, don't keep your cell phones. You know, if you've got a smartwatch, turn it off. Because any light dispels the darkness, right? Any, it doesn't matter, just a little bit of light dispels the darkness. And man, when she finally flipped that switch, the lights came back on, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I was glad that the lights had come back on. And that's what light does. It dispels darkness. Light defeats darkness every time. Where light is, darkness cannot exist. Even the darkest of nights, I mean, think about it. The stars are cloud-covered, the darkest of nights. It is dark until the sun comes up. And uh, the sun reveals everything. The sun represents a new day. The sun represents night may be filled with unknown fears, with concerns, but morning brings a new perspective and a new clarity. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. A new day equals new mercies equals new opportunities. Light changes everything, and that is what's wrapped up in the I am statement that we're looking at today. And our second part in the I am statements, our series on the I am statements of Christ. And the I am statements of Christ declare who Jesus is and who he is changes who we are. As Greg Matt said, the I am changes who I am. If you come into contact, if you encounter Jesus Christ, you are going to be changed forever. Last week, we talked about how Jesus declaring himself as the I am was an echo of what God told Moses in Exodus. 
Uh, when, when God called Moses in the burning bush and told him to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and tell him to let his people go who were uh, in captivity there, uh, Moses said, okay, what, who am I supposed to say sent me? Who do I tell him sent me? And God said, you tell him I am sent you. And that name of God is in the present tense. He's saying that he is present. He has been. He is. He always will be. The I am, the creator, the God of the universe. So in Jesus saying this, he's identifying himself as the same God, the God of creation, the God who delivered uh, the nation of Israel. He and the Father are one. So he's either committing blasphemy or he's telling the truth. He's saying he's identifying by saying he's the God of the New Testament. He's also identifying himself as the God of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is declaring here really uh, openly who he is as God. He's been showing that through his miracles. If you look at the first part of John, you see miracles leading up to the, the bread of life I am statement, and he has now shown who he is. He's about to declare and is declaring who he is. Last week, we began to see how Jesus identified himself as the bread of life. This week, we see him identify himself as the light of the world. Light changes everything. It has a profound impact on anything that it comes into contact with. Darkness cannot exist where light is present. It's just not possible. Light changes everything. Nothing is hidden from the light. Light exposes everything. And you lose something in a dark corner, what do you do? You go find a flashlight so that you can expose the darkness and try to find what you are looking for. Light changes everything. It exposes things that are hidden in the dark. And Jesus said this statement, the I am statement, if you back up to chapter 7, he and his disciples have attended the, attended the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration that took place commemorating the faithfulness of God to the Israelites. When the Israelites were released from captivity, uh, God stayed with them. And he stayed with them during those years of Exodus after they left Egypt. We see the time of exile, God's faithfulness in that, but then his faithfulness in the exit. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder to God's people that he had been loyal. Look at Exodus chapter 13. The Lord went ahead of them. They're leaving Egypt, went ahead of them and a pillar of cloud uh, to lead them on, on their way during the day and a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. So this pillar of uh, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, at night the light of God showed the way. And it, it represented his presence with them. And during this feast of tabernacles, they would light lamps in the temple to represent that pillar of fire to represent God's faithfulness, his presence with them. People would dance uh, through the night. They were holding torches. Light would shine at night by the lamps and by the torches that the people would hold. They would sing songs of praise. A great celebration took place. And if you were in Jerusalem, the light of the temple at night would shine all over Jerusalem. You would be able to see it from anywhere in the city. And this served, these lights served as a very clear reminder to God's people that, that he was faithful, what he had done in leading his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. 
And after the lights are extinguished from the celebration, sometime after that, Jesus makes this statement in John 8, 12. He says, he spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament exodus and the promised land. I'm your protection. I'm your leadership. I will show you the way. 2 Corinthians 1.20 assures us that all of God's promises are yes in Christ. God had been faithful to fulfill his promise to the nation of Israel, and now God was fulfilling his promise of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. He's our light. Jesus is our light. And it's not a glow from heaven shining on earth. It is a light within us, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the light of the world shining from earth leading to heaven. And within us, I mean, he shows us he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he shows us how to live in this life. But without him, there is no getting to heaven. There is no reconciling with God. He is not shining down. He's shining within us for those of us who know him. And we need light in our dark world, don't we? I mean, we need the light to shine and to show us how to live and how to navigate all that's going on in our lives and in our world. What does this light mean for us, though, personally, corporately, as a church? Well, one, it, the illumination of Christ produces life change. The illumination of Christ, I mean, light changes everything. I and mean, when you come into contact with the light of Christ, your life is going to be changed forever, one way or the other. And either you're going to accept him or you're going to reject him, but either way, your life is going to be different. Light changes everything. Look at verse 12 again, John chapter 8. He says, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. Your life will never be the same. You will be released from that darkness. Everything will be exposed. Your sin will be exposed. You can confess it. You can receive forgiveness. And now the darkness in your life, all of the things that are confusing, your purpose, your direction, you won't have all the answers at once, but each day he will light your path and show the way. You will no longer walk in the darkness, but you will have the light of life. It produces life. And later on, we see one of Jesus' 12 disciples betrays him. He, he's just had his feet washed by Jesus. His stomach is full from the Last Supper. And just as he eats uh, the last, his last piece of bread, Judas slips away to betray Jesus, uh, to turn his friend over to evil officials. Look at John 13, 30. After receiving the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. Zero in on that phrase, and it was night. The darkness here doesn't just represent physical darkness. It represents the spiritual darkness within Judas. So he never received the light. His life was not changed. He stayed in the darkness. Instead of receiving the light and walking in the light, he stayed in the darkness um, you know, Jesus walking in, in betrayal, disobedience is contrary to walking in the light. And Jesus offers guidance to anybody that will accept it, but we still have to obey. And he still requires that we accept it. He doesn't force himself on us. There has to be a choice to follow him. And once we are saved, if we're going to walk in the light, there has to be a choice to obey Jesus. Christianity offers not just a list of things to do and a list of things not to do. Christianity offers someone to follow. 
Jesus says, follow me. And in following him, we make a choice to do what he tells us to do. And allowing him to be Lord, ruler, controller of our lives, we're making a choice to do what he tells us to do, to follow his instructions, to obey him completely. You know, the darkness of sin, once you're walking in the light, the darkness of sin becomes less attractive. You know, when you're lost, you're looking for anything to hold on to for joy, for meaning, for purpose. But once God shines light on your life and shows you what true love is, what shows you what, what it means uh, to have a relationship with him and to have purpose and fulfillment that can't be found in anyone else, all that other stuff just kind of fades into the background. Just like when you turn a light on in a room, the darkness is dispelled. Well, that's what happens in our life. And then it's a process too of sanctification that continues as we obey him, as we follow him, the life the, the darkness becomes less and less attractive. We're constantly battling the flesh, but the more of Christ we learn, the more about him we learn, the less we want those things that are unfulfilling. Following and believing in Jesus brings satisfaction. It brings sanctification, becoming more like him. Our desires change, and with that change comes a desire to obey God that grows more and more each day. Darkness obscures our vision. You ever been in a dark room and your eyes play tricks on you and it obscures your vision? It, it, it makes it difficult to see. Um, it, it, you, I mean, just plain and simple, when it's dark, you can't see where you're going. I mean, it, it makes it hard to function. When we find Jesus is who he says that he is as the light of the world, our changed hearts compel us to obey because we begin to see he shows us the right way to live before we're stumbling all over everything bad choices things that don't fulfill that don't satisfy but he shows us the right way when we encounter the light of the world our lives are never the same plain and simple our lives are never the same we are never the same you know all of us who have encountered christ have unique stories don't we i mean my testimony is different than your testimony my experiences in life are different than your experiences in life. My salvation story, while the story of salvation is the same, Jesus is the only way. He died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. You have to accept him to be saved. The way you encountered him is going to be different than the way I encountered him, right? That's because Jesus, he reaches us where we are. He speaks to us where we are. And that's the gospel, it's God pursuing those of us who are sinners running as fast as we can away from him. And in any direction we can to try to find satisfaction. It's the story of Saul who becomes Paul. He was a murderer on his way to persecute Christians, had the authority of Rome to do so, thought he was serving God by persecuting Christians. And Jesus went to him on that road and encountered him in a very personal way in a very powerful way, and he changed his heart. His heart was hard and cold toward God until the light of Christ impacted him, literally impacted him. Acts 9, verses 1 through 6, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, followers of Christ, he might be, bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. 
Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, but get up. Jesus replied, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, Saul is traveling on the road to Damascus. A light blinds him and his life was never the same. His heart was never the same. Um, He was so changed that his name was changed (laughs) to represent the change that had taken place in his life. Paul becomes, he goes from persecuting the church to becoming instrumental in the growth of the church, the early church. When Jesus' light blinded Saul for three days, Paul, he left him uh, to contemplate where he was, but he gave him some instructions, right? So he encounters Christ, the light of the world. His heart is now changed. His life is changed, is beginning to change. And Jesus gives him instructions, so Saul has to make a decision. Paul has to make a decision to follow Christ. And he makes that decision. He obeys Christ, and his life was completely changed. And before Jesus, Paul's life was full of darkness, just like any of us when we are lost, full of darkness. But light expels darkness. Walking with Jesus changes everything. Paul is a murderer turned missionary. And just like his experience, when you and I have a confrontation with light, darkness has no chance of survival. If we will accept Christ, if we will allow him to change our lives, if we will accept salvation, our encounter with him, darkness doesn't have a chance of survival in our lives after that. I've talked often about uh, our experience through Hurricane Katrina in the past couple of weeks watching Uh, devastation from the hurricane uh, in New Orleans and and around those areas, you know, kind of, it was, it was on the the day of, it was like uh, 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 the 15th, uh, 16th anniversary um, of, of Hurricane Katrina. And Mandy asked me at one point, are you having flashbacks? I said, no, not really. I'm thinking about it though. You know, we, we, we were hit hard. We uh, had our home uh, nearly destroyed by that. And, you know, I remember, I remember um, the worst hit area around us was actually about 45 miles west of us, Waveland, Mississippi. We were in Pascagoula. And uh, not long after that, we went and, and drove around in, in Waveland. We had been there before, uh, but not since the storm had literally washed all of those houses in, in a neighborhood that we had been to before. I mean, all the houses were gone. You would see concrete steps and slabs, but no houses. And we went over there one night driving around. And if you're not, you weren't careful, you'd get lost because there were no markers. But ever so often, you'd see a trailer, a FEMA trailer with lights on. And it was just a little, little light here, a little light there. And I'm thinking, man, I wouldn't want to live out here. It's scary. But they had, they had some power. Um, some of them had generators. In our neighborhood, in the days after, we lost power completely, as you can imagine. And, and you, you quickly find out who had access to generators and who didn't because you would see lights in the neighborhood, just a few houses throughout the neighborhood. You'd hear the generators running. And then after a few days, our power came back on. And, man, I'm going to tell you, when the power came back on in somebody's house, word would spread through the neighborhood like wildfire. I mean, it was uh, the rest of us, those who didn't have power, were envious of the people that did. And every time somebody, you know, a section of the neighborhood would get their power back on or somebody's house specifically would get their power back on, uh, there was almost a celebration. We would, we would all, and of course, when our power came back on, we were so thrilled because, remember, it's August 
in southern Mississippi with no air conditioning trying to work on your house. And so, you know, for a little while, at least our air conditioners worked until the salt water ate through and killed them. But, you know, we would get power back on and everybody would celebrate. And it was funny watching the reaction to people that didn't have power, trying to pretend like they were happy for the people that did, you know, because <laughs> we were envious, we were jealous. And that's, man, that's such a, a, a great analogy of what happens when someone encounters the light of Christ. There's a change that takes place. And, you know, somebody who's in the darkness may not even know what that is, but when they see the light of Christ shining through your life and my life, they're going to want that. They're going to want that to happen to them. There's a change that takes place, and we should live in such a way, our hearts should shine in such a way that a dark world envies what we have, and we have the opportunity to share that light with them. Light changes everything. Next, the illumination of Christ gives clarity. It gives us clarity. You know, darkness clouds our vision, but light gives us clarity. It reveals what's in the darkness. You know, it's, it's difficult when your vision is clouded, as I just had water splash in my eye. My vision is now clouded. <laughs> but it's difficult when your vision is clouded. You ever get blurry vision, you go to the eye doctor or whatever, and you, know, you get your eyes dilated or... You know, it's dark and you can't see or it's foggy in the, early in the morning while you're driving and you can't see. It's difficult to navigate. It's difficult to function. Darkness conceals things that are beautiful. It confuses our understanding of what's real. Again, it, in a dark room, your eyes can play tricks on you and you, you think you see something and it's not real. Um, optical illusions. It, it, it confuses our understanding. But in the middle of the night, that's at its worst. But when sunrise takes place, beginning of a new day, it begins to clear things up. You begin to see the colors of the flowers, the green grass. Um, you see the blue sky, hopefully, or even a cloudy sky. You begin to see those things. You begin to see all that's around you. And again, in Waveland that night, you know, other than that cave, maybe I've never been in a more dark and and creepy place. But during the daytime, it's a different story. Uh, you see what's in front of you. You see the obstacles, and in that case, you see the devastation, and you see the reality of what's taking place. But darkness hides all that. Since light overpowers any amount of darkness, a new morning is filled with a new perspective. It gives us a different perspective. When Jesus claims to be the light of the world, he's offering himself as one who would bring that same clarity, take that clarity and perspective you have in a new morning and, and, and apply it spiritually. He gives us that same clarity in a spiritual sense, that same perspective on our lives. We don't know what we need or what we want, but he gives us that perspective. It's not easy to follow Jesus Christ, the light of the world. But in doing so, we find great clarity. We come to know who he is. And in coming to know who he is and revealing himself and us learning who he is, we then begin to understand who we are. The I am changes who I am. We begin to understand. Psalm 119, 105 tells us, your, lamp, your word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. The word of God, as he reveals himself, shows us how to live. It shows us the decisions to make. It helps us to navigate this crazy world that we live in. Think about it this way. 
Darkness clouds our vision, but knowing the word of God shines light into our lives and gives us vision for the road ahead. It's like driving with your lights off. You can't see, suddenly you turn them on, you can see the path ahead. The word of God shines in the darkness and and reveals what's ahead. It shows us, you know, and, and the way God operates, sometimes he may give you advance notice of something, but typically he leads you day by day, just like those headlights only go so far. You'll see what's in front of you, and God may not show you the next step until you've taken that step of faith. That's what walking in faith is, but he will shine the light on your path, and he will show you what you need to do. Sin's darkness also limits our view. Again, you know, we can only see so much. There's, there, our, our vision's distorted by sin. You know, we're like a horse with blinders on. We can only see what's right in front of us, one, a, one thing or a select few things. Uh, There's only so much you're going to be able to see, but when the light of Christ shines in your life, it's like you've taken the blinders off and suddenly you've got a different perspective. You see things you didn't see before. The darkness is eliminated. It explodes those boundaries that we have lost in sin. We can't please God. We can't live for God. We can't do anything of kingdom value. But suddenly all of those limitations are gone. And we begin to see where God is at work. We begin to see where we are to join him and how we are to join him and how we are to access his power, his strength through his word, through the Holy Spirit working in and through us. All of those limitations are now gone. The blinders are off. We begin to see more of the great plan that he has for us. Clarity comes when you're following the light. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Victory over darkness begins with focus. Lack of focus is dangerous. Lack of focus spiritually is dangerous. Lack of focus physically is dangerous. I mean, I can think of a lot of examples of how lack of focus can be dangerous. One of the most clear examples is in driving. If you're not focused driving, it could be very dangerous for you and the people around you. And I actually looked this up this week. I did a little bit of research, found some numbers from 2019 of, of the danger, life-threatening, that exists when people aren't focused driving. 3,142 people were killed by distracted driving in 2019. That was up from 2,628. of all car crash fatalities were due to distracted driving in 2019. 8%, 8.7%. 25% of distracted drivers are between the ages of 20 and 29. Now, what do you think the top reasons for distracted driving are? One was cell phones. That wasn't the top. The top was daydreaming. Surprising. At least the study I looked at. Daydreaming, just... Your, your mind's off in the distance, and that car stopped in front of you, and you don't see it. But yes, cell phones was very close to that. I mean, you got cell phones, you've got daydreaming, and what else might you be doing in the car? <laughs> you slapping the kids behind you? That's a possibility. But one of the top, and I, these aren't, the, the, this wasn't, I don't think, number three, but one of them that I kept seeing come up and, uh, again was adjusting the radio. Got to have those tunes, right? Which it could also be your cell phone too, because you're trying to find the right song on your, on your, uh, to play through through your radio. But all of those things lead to distraction. 
Um, I mean, and, and so because of those distractions, some people lost their lives. That's why a lot of states have passed cell phone laws about using your cell phone in the car. Distractions can be dangerous. They can lead to death. Focus is important, right? Focus is very important. Whether we're focused on the things of light or the things of darkness matters in a spiritual sense. The choice is ours. I mean, we can either choose the path that God gives us, a lit, the lit route of victory, or we can choose darkness. We can choose to live in the flesh and stumble through the darkness and just as our physical eyes, think about it, you, you have to, your eyes have to, uh, to receive and interpret what you see, don't they? They have to process what you see. And in the same way we receive light to process what's in front of us, we have to do that in our heart. We have to have the light of Christ in us to be able to process what we see and interpret it through the lens of his word, a biblical worldview. The light of godly living is very different from what we see in our lives which many times is evil posing as good, enticing us to, to do things that may feel good, may look good, but in the end turn out to be empty and, and painful. But if I'm focused, I will live in the light. I won't dabble in the dark. I'll begin to see the dangers of the dark because the light is expelling all of those things, exposing all of those things. I'll realize that true life is a run toward the light of Christ. You know, if you are in the darkness or if you are in the shade at all, begin to run toward the light. Do what is necessary in your life. Dig into the word of God. Move toward the light. Move out of the darkness and begin to live. The eyes of your heart can find the light of Christ through his word. Even as believers, sometimes we get pulled back into those, those dark habits. But if you'll focus on the word of God, if you'll pour the word of God into your life. You'll begin to focus on the light and you can, you can fix your eyes on the light of the world and live in the way that pleases him. And ultimately you will find joy. Keep your focus there. The next reality, the illumination of Christ requires belief. It requires belief. There is action on our part and living for Christ, and it begins with belief. We have to believe. We choose to believe. In the immediate context of John chapter 8, if you look at the first part, Jesus has just called himself the light of the world right after rescuing a woman from a life of adultery. And that's darkness right there. And she's caught in the act, okay? So there's no denying there's no excusing, no making excuses. I mean, she's guilty. Everybody knows she's guilty. The crowd's around her, ready to stone her, and by the law would have been justified in doing that, ready to kill her. They look to Jesus to give an answer as to what to do with this woman. And here's what he says in John chapter 8, verse 7. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin, you who is among you, anyone among you without sin... You should be the first to throw the stone at her. And you can see the scene unfold. You can hear rocks beginning to drop on the ground. They're ready to stone her, but they begin to realize, hey, I, I can't say that. I'm not without sin. And so one by one, slowly, one at a time, the crowd leaves until it's just Jesus and this woman, who definitely is sorry for her sin at this point. And you can better believe thankful to be alive at this point. It's just she and Jesus, and Jesus begins to talk to her. He begins to show her 
the light. The, the darkness in her life has led her to this point. He reveals himself. In the midst of all this, he says, I'm the light of the world. He shows her what that really means. Jesus calls her to leave this life of darkness, which she does. She puts her faith in him, and her life was changed forever. She believed in the one who claimed to be the Son of God. Important truth. Following Jesus starts with believing. I mean, she could have refused to believe. She would have been crazy to do that, but still, she could have chosen to continue in that path. Her life was spared in that moment which meant she lives, she had the opportunity to, to go one of two directions. But she chooses to believe. In John 12, 46, Jesus says, I've come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. The truth is, she could have chosen that, but the reality is she had just, her life had just been changed by the light of Jesus. And because it had been changed, she could no longer stay in the darkness. Because she believed and received that light, her life, now she could not stay in the darkness. Because it's impossible to live in the light and live in the darkness at the same time. Our culture says different. Our culture separates believing and living. The culture says you can believe in the light, but live a different way the rest of the time. You can say you believe in Jesus, but live a contradictory life. You can say all the right things, do all the right things, but then throughout the week as you're living your life, you do whatever you want, and that's okay. That would be defined as your truth, right? However you choose to interpret what God says do and don't do. You pick and choose what you like. You leave behind what you don't like. That's what we get all around us. Saying you believe in Jesus, yet not following him, invites confusion in your life, though, and for those watching you. I mean, there's, 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 no one who looks at your life will know that you believe what you say you believe by the way you live. There, it requires consistency. It also is impossible in God's eyes to believe without following. So you got a question. If someone says they believe but doesn't live what they believe, do they really believe in the first place? Because obedience follows belief. The more you follow, the more you'll believe. The more you believe, the more you'll follow. It's, it goes hand in hand. That's the way that it works because your life has been changed and is being transformed. Believing in Jesus leads to following him. Following always means believing, and believing always means following. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. He connects the two right there. If you love me, you'll follow me. If you don't follow me, you don't truly love me. The word that you hear is not mine, but from the Father who sent me. So to believe and follow the light of the world invites us to discover who he is and what he does. The more we discover, the more we want to follow. Our faith increases. Our obedience increases. Our transformation continues. We become more like Jesus each day. And understanding who Jesus is, and remember this is about him revealing himself. These statements, he's revealing to us who he is. He's shown us, now he's revealing. And in understanding who he is and how he lived, we begin to find clarity for our own lives. 
we begin to see how we are to conduct ourselves. You know, it won't always be easy to follow Jesus, but we can rest assured that there will be clarity. Now, we live in a dark world. A world that's full of sin, a world that's full of confusion, a world where we don't know what to believe. It's hard to find the right information. It's hard to find the truth, to know who to believe, what not to believe. But in the midst of our dark world, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And it doesn't take much light. You can crack yours now. Everybody's waiting. Good job. Jesus reveals himself as the light in one life, and then another life, and then in another life. And what was, what, what was once dark isn't quite so dark anymore. And here's the deal. I want you to look around you. All different colors, shining a light, right? Each of us is unique. Each of us is different. We all have a different story. Our testimony is personal. But if you are in this room and you don't have a light, how hard would it be for you to find somebody that does? Why is that? Because we're all shining, right? Our lights are shining. And that's the way that it is. When Jesus enters your life, when you encounter Jesus Christ, your life is never going to be the same. And if you live what you say you believe, the world around you is going to notice. Now, maybe you are in this room and you missed out on the beginning and you didn't have a, a glow stick. You come see me afterwards. I'll give you one. All right. But it would be hard for you to find to get your way to somebody who has the light. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to shine the light for you today. I want to show you how to find, to discover salvation. All you have to do is believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Invite him into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Choose to believe and accept the gift of salvation. Now, maybe you're in here today and you're a believer, but you're dabbling in the darkness. You need to find your way back to the light. You need to move toward the light in your life through the study of his word, through obedience, through living for him, whatever it takes. Allow the Holy Spirit to dispel any darkness that exists in your life because you will never find satisfaction. You will never find fulfillment. You will never fulfill his purpose for you until you live in the light. It requires discipline daily. We have to choose to live for Jesus Christ. Jesus says he's the light of the world. Do you have that light within you? Are you willing to receive that light if you don't? And are you willing to live in that light each day if you do? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we recognize that you alone can shine light into this dark world. And you have chosen to do that through your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you declared about yourself that you are the light of the world. And you 
through shining light into the darkness of our lives, you reveal the sin that exists. And in doing so, you shine, you point us to yourself as the answer to the sin that exists. Your sacrifice, your death, paying the price for our sin that we could not pay. And if there is someone in this room today or at home watching who is living in the dark and you're shining that light in their hearts for the first time, I pray that they would move toward you, that they would would take a step toward you in belief and acceptance of the gift of salvation that you offer and crying out to you in this moment of prayer, asking you to come into their lives and forgive them of sin. For those of us who have received the light, for those of us who know you, there may be some who are struggling with living daily in the light in a world where we are surrounded by darkness. Are we shining in the darkness or are we trying to live in the darkness and proclaim that we believe in the light? Those two things can't coexist, and we know that. Light and darkness cannot coexist. So I pray that whatever needs to happen in our lives for, for the light to overtake the darkness, whether it's an issue of faithfulness, obedience in one area, a lifestyle choice that needs to be made, or a commitment that needs to be strengthened or a call that you're placing on our lives that we're refusing to answer, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would move toward the light, that we would live what we say we believe so that others around us can see your light shining through us. Thank you for showing us the way. Thank you that in this dark world, this world full of obstacles, full of sin, full of hatred, full of destruction, full of landmines, everywhere we look, you have given us light for our path so that we can know how to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?